Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. My name's Marcus Costello. This week, we're doing things a bit differently because it's not every week that Manoush Samarudi is in town. Manoush is the host of WNYC's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. It's excellent. I listen every week, and if you like insightful, funny podcasts, I recommend you listen to. Manoush is in Sydney for OzPod 2016, and she dropped into 2SER for a chat. We talked about uh, what makes a podcast great, uh, what doesn't work, how the landscape is changing, and what technology is doing to us for better and for worse. I'm going to drop you into the conversation just where Manoush was talking about the tagline for her podcast, The Tech Show About Being Human. Talking about being human, that's something I really appreciate about the podcast mm, is that you. I feel you are a human. I'm listening to a human. It's it's quote All on, my foibles, yes. It's like it's true companionship audio, right? Yeah. Um I feel like the woman who I listen to each week is the woman who's in front of me right now. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, is it pretty much the same? It is. It's pretty much the same. I <laughs> feel like I'm, I'm on an episode of Note Yay! to Self, right? Anytime, Marcus. <laughs> anytime. But I'm interested to know, what is it that you had to like unlearn, mm. shifting from being a broadcast news journalist to being a podcaster? Yeah. I mean, my background was with the BBC and Reuters and very much this idea of standing up and talking to a million people. Um, it is different. It is a very, and I, I don't think I could have told you what was different until now. And I don't think I heard what was different until now when I go and I listen back. And I think this idea of really um, making it count and being vulnerable and being intimate is supremely scary. And it's not something, you know, when I would, would do a stand up for BBC television or whatever, I don't want to be vulnerable. No, I want to tell you what's going on and I want to be impenetrable. And now there is a, a real sense that I, I'm asking you to spend time with me every week, my listener. And that's a lot to ask in this day and age. There's so many wonderful things we want to watch, listen to, so many people in our lives that we don't, don't get to spend enough time with. And so I want to be fully present for you there. It's not just about giving you information, but it's really giving you what I think about it, how I feel about it, what I think you might be feeling. It's really much more of a conversation than being a broadcaster was. You know, when you're walking around with someone in your ears, they are going with you to the grocery store. They are going jogging with you. They are your buddy in a way that when you listen to the news, they're not. And I don't take that for granted. I really try not to take that for granted. I really want to show up in a big way every week. But was there any kind of learning curve around learning to be natural? I mean, as strange as that sentence sounds, a lot of people find it hard to be themselves when they're in a really artificial environment. And yeah. so when you've got the constraints of um, a script that you read yeah. or a format that you adhere to, um, even a schedule in like a radio programming grid, there are these rules and having these rules can be kind of comforting because mm -hmm. sometimes I feel that people are daunted by the creative process of entering into the unknown and we're in the unknown time yeah. at the dawning phase of podcasting. So to what extent did you, was it natural to act natural? <laughs> <laughs> I totally get what you're saying. Well, I will 
say that one of the philosophies of uh, the person, the chief creative content producer at WNYC, Dean Capello, his whole thing is you will be you when you are following your bliss. He very much was like, don't worry about it. Do wherever your heart goes. That's when you're going to be yourself. He was like, go do it. Do your thing. Because when you really care about something, that's when you can't help yourself from being yourself. You know, it's one thing when you're talking about, oh, you know, Google's stock trade is up and they're, you know, talking about how can you be intimate about news, right? But when you're talking about something very personal that really counts, that really changes a person's life, I can only be myself because I'm talking about my life too. But to speak more to your um, idea of switching off the broadcast lady persona, (laughs) my producer also, I got a new producer, Jen Point, who um, first thing she did was she would sit with me in the studio. Um, So she and I would have eye contact when I was tracking. And I'd really, you know, you say talk to one person, but no, really, I was really talking to her. Um, And I think I got better and this is something every journalist needs to do, but I thought, I think I got really much better at writing how I talk. Um, and that comes very easily to me now, whereas before I would write how I thought people wanted me to talk, and now I write just how I talk. I'm so interested in this because you're taught as a content maker yeah. that people will only give you their attention for three seconds, so you damn well better grab it. <laughs> but I feel that if you like just sit down and you're not so preoccupied with grabbing their attention, if you just become yourself, then people are more inclined to listen. And I I wonder if that's what podcasting is trying to signal to the broader media culture, Mm. that we don't want sound bites, that we don't want to be yelled at, that we don't want a jingle. We actually want a person. We want someone to be human. I think you're totally (laughs) right about that. I mean, the, the wall is down, right? Our consumer, news consumer, knows how the sausage is made. Right. They, all of it. And we know sausage tastes delicious, but you wouldn't want to see it made. So now we're at this point where um, you can't trick people into thinking things. And I, I actually was watching the news last night. I mean, I rarely watch television news, I have to admit. And I was watching it here in my hotel room last night. Local, local, news. yes. And I, <laughs> I was watching the woman, the the presenter, and she was she threw to her colleague in the field, and um, all I could think about was, does she like him? Does she think he's kind of a jerk? Like I wasn't even listening to what they were saying. All I could think about what was really going on in their minds. And I think we've come to a place where we expect to hear some honesty. And, like, I, I wanted to know, like, was he going to, the minute he walked off the camera, was he going to be like, this backpacker tax is bullshit? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I didn't even know what a backpacker tax was until last night. But I, I wanted to know what the, was really going on in their minds. Am I allowed to curse? I'm sorry about that. I, I saw you wanting to say dick a yes, moment ago. You did see me want to say dick. I just said it. You can say it. We're saying it. Yeah. It's kind of a dick. I don't know. I wanted to know. I think there's this sense that people... um for better or worse, there's a breaking down of the professional presentation that we have and the personal presentation. And I'm, I'm trying to walk that line right now. Uh, it's a weird thing when I go to events and people want to hug me because they feel like they know me. On the other hand, that's amazing. So it's tricky. But at the same time, the space is rapidly professionalizing mm. and people are just now starting to work out a business model around podcasting. Yeah. 
Are you concerned that professionalization and that dependence on advertising will mean podcasting might go the way of all other media that has been dependent up until this point on advertising and be the yeah, victim yeah. of its own early success? I mean, I think YouTube is a good example of this in that um, you really had to be it was very rough and ready, right, when YouTube started. And now there's just so much crap on YouTube. I don't even go there anymore. It's just like an ocean of blech. But I will go there if somebody sends me a link or it's something in particular or whatever. I don't think you can change the medium despite it being professionalized. There is still the act of somebody putting earbuds and directly connecting their brain to you. That is not going to change even if there is more money or more competition this is what the medium is this is what it requires i think it is an honesty that i have not experienced anywhere else not in written articles or online or tv or on-demand video either there is a it, it and it comes down to something very basic which is the human voice right it, it's it's conversation and that um I think there's a renewed appreciation for in our society as we text, you know, our mother. However, I already texted with her, with her three times this morning. Um, she's a terrible texter. She just writes back, fine, fine, <laughs> fine. It's only when I get her in conversation that I can draw her out, right, that I can hear that actually she sounds a little stressed out. My kids are driving her crazy, so I could be in Australia. Or she really does, there's a the mellowness to her. Everything's going fine. They ate their dinner. They might even already be in bed or whatever. You can, you, you can, there's so much a voice says something and when it says nothing, right? There's so much, so many different layers to it that I think can't be um, sapped for the, for the bottom line. I'm interested to know what you think about how podcasts might be informing how radio is made and if, say, public radio has learned anything from podcasting about how people want their stories delivered? Yeah, that's. Uh, I think about this all the time. It's such a good question. So WNYC, where I come from, has, of course, still the broadcast and New York City public radio, and then it's podcast stuff too. <clears throat> and I'm one of the few people who kind of can go back and forth or does go back and forth in that I started in broadcast, then I went to podcasting, but I also um, substitute for some of the hosts. So there's a show called The Brian Lehrer Show. It's a two-hour current affairs show. There's something called the Leonard Lopate show. It's a cultural show. And I've noticed when I first was subbing for them, I would just try to be them. And now when I sub, I can't help myself. I'm much looser and more relaxed. I'm looking at Twitter throughout the show and sprinkling in people's reactions. Um, it would feel weird to tell people things as opposed to turn it into more of a virtuous sort of um, I want to say circular, you know, I, I want to, I love taking calls more than anything. Um, I think it's less a, here's what's happening. We're telling you. And so everybody, what's going on today thing. It's more inclusive and it has to be because um, I think for younger people, they don't want to be talked at and, and they have a lot to say. I, I really, I see this as somebody who's like right at 40, having been in, remembering what it was like before, there is an acceptance of different points of view that there was not before. I feel that our society is definitely feels more open to me. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. 
So aside from uh, a show being boring and people maybe talking at you, yeah, what deliberate choices do you come across when somebody is podcasting or making radio that will just make you turn off, make you switch the dial or make you skip ahead to the next podcast? <sighs> okay, so this is controversial, Marcus. But I do care about the timbre of their voice. I'm very sensitive to sound, I've realized. I love when somebody has a richness to their voice. And for those of you wondering, like, why that is controversial, there's a big conversation going on right now about women's voices and what, uh, um, what do they call it again? The, vocal fry. The, vocal fry. Vocal fry. Right. And I don't want to tell anyone to speak a particular way or say that it's bad, but I sorry, but I do know when my brain is happy listening to someone and when uh, it starts to give me a panic attack. Like I think I'm very sensitive to sound. And so if somebody doesn't have a voice or that, I don't know, that, that makes me anxious, then I'm sorry. I can't listen to you. I'm sorry. Even if you're saying wonderful things, I feel bad about it, but like I can't help it. I can't help it. It's like, would you want to go see a therapist who kind of talk like you, you like this? Like, you know, you'd be like, oh, my God, I'm so stressed out. I can't come here and relax and listen and learn and be open. I need someone. I don't know. I feel bad about saying that. What do you think? You have a lovely voice, by the way. Oh, thanks. But <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I think is interesting is that there was a certain kind of voice that was acceptable for broadcast mm. and podcasting has opened that space. And I think... Maybe even before Ira Glass came on the yeah. air, people, like, he talks about having people question his rightness of fit yeah. for being on radio. Yeah. And it, it, it took a character like him to break that mold yeah. and open the doors for a whole range of other people. So, yeah, I, I, I would be lying to say that there weren't voices that great with me. Um, but I, I like how I've been introduced to voices that I didn't know that I would like. Uh-huh. That's... That was a much more diplomatic way of putting it than I did. <laughs> like he said. That was perfect. So, Manish, tell me about what it's like making a show from week to week. Mm. Um, what's it like? What are your rules? What are rules that you're okay breaking? Breaking rules. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I will say, you know, what's changing in the last couple of years is that um, public radio is still public radio, but we are a business now as well. Um, I read ads now. I didn't do that a year ago. As more people are listening to podcasts, obviously advertisers are getting more interested as well. And before they'd be like, you know, if you think the show should have a break, great. If you don't, that's fine too. And now it's like, nope, you need to have a break because there's an advertisement and we want to roll it. So that's fine. Um, but there was an ad recently that I decided not to read. Um, because it was endorsement and we haven't crossed that line yet. Will I do it in the future? I don't know if I, maybe if I tried a product and I really believed it was amazing and the station decided that they would think that that's okay, but we're not there yet. So that's an interesting thing. Um, and as a show that is treading a line between storytelling and news, you know, I still talk and criticize, uh, other products or platforms, you know, Facebook is never going to want to advertise on my show because I have a lot of constructive criticism for them. Um, so I need to be I want to maintain sort of, you know, journalistic integrity. I haven't gone all the way to just not just all the way to storytelling yet. I'm still talking about things that people spend money on. And so 
those things matter to me. In terms of what we'll talk about, um, oh, we had a really interesting situation in a recent show where we did a show about what would it be like to live the transcribed life where every we're actually getting very close to this reality where everything is recorded and then kept in posterity. And we gave a woman a recorder to record her life for three days just to, you know, see, like, what does happen? Is it incredibly mundane? Is it useful to her? Is she able to say, like, um, actually, Dad, you did say you were going to, you know, whatever. So she went into the situation where she had a meeting with a prospective client And she told him, I'm recording our conversation, fine. And he ends up telling her a story where he used a word, like seriously offensive word. And she fell down this mental rabbit hole where she was like, oh, my God, I told him I didn't like the word. But then because it was recorded, she felt the need to tell us that she felt bad that she wasn't mad enough to him, didn't really put her foot down. It turned into a really interesting ethical dilemma. And then it came back to us, well, do we play what he said? Is the power in hearing that word going to make her point better than not playing it? Or is it our duty to say, we don't play that word either because nobody should be saying that word. And we really went back and forth on this, you know. I, and to me, it's a perfect illustration of what technology sort of situations that you would never really expect to be put in. On the one hand, it's a wonderful thing. Like, she, she has it on tape that this guy used this word. Oh, my God. On the other hand, that's horrible. We have to hear that word. And that's why tech is so great to report on because there's so much gray area. To put you out of your, I know, you're on tender hooks right now wondering what we did. We decided not to play the word. And in fact, I interrupted. We played the tape. So he's like, yeah, this happened to me. And then these, and then he goes to say the word. And I jumped in and I was like, you know what? We, we ha-, and I was very transparent. We had a conversation. We decided that he said this word. It's incredibly offensive. We're not, we're not cool with that. And so we're not going to play it either. I'm sure your imagination can take you to where this word is. And and then we went back to the tape. Was it dick? No, I'm okay with dick. Dick is fine. Dick, dick, dick. No, that was just the that was, sarcasm. Right, yes. Yeah. Oh, right. Cool. <laughs> no, it was a word that no one is okay with anymore, uh, especially with considering what's going on in the United States with uh, yeah. police and race relations. Not cool. It's an, it's an interesting um, situation, it sounds like you captured there, almost like a big brother situation mm. where people be- become aware that they're being recorded and how that then impacts on how they behave, mm-hmm. exactly. which I guess like funnels right down to the heart of your show. Yes. Personal decision-making choice. Are we performing for ourselves? Are we performing for others? That was what was so cool, this performative aspect of it, that she wasn't in her own body when she responded. She responded with us in mind. Wow. Kind of messed up, right? Love that. I want to know what you think just doesn't work in audio, or for that matter, what only works in audio. Because Mm. um, Ira Glass Mm. talks about the show's foray into TV and how they did a couple of seasons yeah. but actually decided to pull out of their own contract with Showtime yeah. um, because they found it too challenging. And they also, and I've got a little quote here, yeah. 
um, he said, on radio, we get people to tell us what happened to them. But on TV, you want the cameras to be there rolling as the events transpire. So it becomes a really tall order to find something worth filming before it's happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to know how you think about storytelling and what elements are essential to it making for good audio. Yeah. I mean, as someone who really was a TV video person, I think about this a ton. I do think that example of giving this woman an audio recorder for three days and letting it roll and then, you know, you couldn't really do that with a camera. I guess you can with reality TV. We do. Right. But then what happens? People. It's very hard not to be self-conscious with a camera in your face. I mean, sometimes people forget, but not like they do with a recorder. They really completely forget. And there's also this sense. I hear people say this to me all the time. Um Gosh, if I'm interviewed for the radio, I'm completely relaxed. But the minute I have to do a TV interview, I freeze up. The camera is an unflinching eye. And I think um, it's hard to think on camera is what I've found. You almost have to know what you're going to say before you go on camera because thinking doesn't translate well on camera. It's just something you don't want to watch. Whereas (laughs) thinking on radio... Did you just hear that pregnant pause? <laughs> right? I did. And I got to see it as well. Right. You did. But I think you can hear a pregnant pause and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? That just looks like she, she, like on TV, I would have just looked like I had a brain fart or something like right. that. So right. That's so interesting. I, I think real time works better in radio than on TV. I, for the record, I thought the This American Life TV show was brilliant. I mean, yeah, completely, I yeah, different than the radio show. And that's not to say bad or worse or just different. I mean. Then again, who's to say if they dropped that, would we ever have heard Well, cereal, that's exactly you know? right. I think we're at a point where, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had all the resources in the world to be do it, doing it all? I think there's a reality check here, right? Which is that podcasting is not making that much money relative to other media not yet anyway. Uh, in the United States, only I think it's one out of five people listen to podcasts. The and one- it's encouraging though, right? Like sure. One, one in five means there's four people who you haven't yet tapped into, I right? I love your optimistic <laughs> attitude, Marcus. That's how I see it. Yeah, for sure. Particularly with my audience, I think. So I think, and this is what I'll tell my bosses any day they ask, my audience, we know now, at first when it was New Tech City and it was on tech news, was mostly men, 70% men. And as we transitioned to being more sort of the anthropological, sociological side of technology, uh, I think we held on to those men, but we are now at 70% women and young women. So 25 to 40. I'm going to say, yeah, that's young for me. Um, <laughs> and they are the ones who typically are not uh, the people who can be bothered to figure out how the hell does this iTunes app work. They're not the typically not the first adop- adopters of new technology. And so to me, that means, oh, my God, do we have growth? That, that is once we get these women podcasting, if we can be their entree to the medium they will know that they have a trusted friend in us forever. I I want to build that relationship very quickly because I want to be there with them as they go forth and and enjoy the pleasures of podcasting. Um, So I think there's a huge opportunity there, huge. I'm interested to know also what metrics of success are for you. Mm. I mean, aside from ratings, what else do you and can you and do you hope to be able to measure in order to feed back that you're doing something well keep on keeping on 
couple things. Um, one are the emails that I get. I mean, we did this series in July called Taking the Lead about, um, it was the first time we'd done something like this. It was four episodes tracing two years in the lives of two women who were trying to create an app to help um, working moms manage everything. And the show became much less about the app and much more about this idea of whose responsibility is it to manage a family and what sort of choices do professional women have to make these days. It's really some heart wrenching, gut wrenching stuff. And I would have people come up to me and start crying. I had emails that were like, I cannot thank you enough for starting a conversation between me and my husband about this. It has changed our relationship. I mean, if that's not a metric for success, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I could convince advertisers that that's the case, but who who freaking cares? Do you know what I mean? I That little part in my soul that hasn't been destroyed yet and still needs to be fed, and I felt so damn good about that. Julia Turner was discussing this very point on Long Form, the podcast, oh, yeah. just last uh-huh, week. Uh-huh. She's the editor of Slate uh, and the co-host of Slate's Culture Gabfest, and she was talking about the premium currency that like direct mail will have when yeah. somebody writes in to say they really appreciated something, yeah. or they really didn't like something, even though they've got so such powerful data analytics tools. Yeah, there's still more power in receiving and addressed letter about the show. And when you say that, it also makes me think of what we ended up getting were um, voice memos from a lot of our listeners telling their own stories that we wove into the audio. And some a friend of mine was like, yeah, the show was good, but holy crap, those voice memos from your listeners. I can't believe people told you stuff. My favorite, though, was from this Australian woman who was explaining how she was still traveling for work and she was had a toddler at home, was pregnant, She's in line at the security at the airport. <laughs> she whips out a plastic bag to barf. And the security guard looks at her and she's like, okay, puts it on the, this, it goes through security, her vomit. And then she goes through, you know, gets scanned and everything. And then he gives her her barf back on the other side. I was like, you know, stories like that, I can't make that stuff up. Wow. Like we can take that intimate uh, response, like you're talking about emails, we can turn that into voice memos that we then put into the show which makes the show better because it goes to show it's not some weird idea in my mind it's on a lot of people's minds and um and that's incredibly powerful you know what Manish? i think we've got it do we put it to rest i think we solved pretty, all the world's problems i think we pretty much done yes. it yes this was so, so fun oh good i enjoyed this um actually i better Get a selfie. Goodbye. Oh, and a little goodbye on air, just right, quickly. Don't yeah, yeah. The selfie. <laughs> Manish Samarodi, thank you so much for coming in today. Oh, it was great. I love this, Marcus. Thank you. Thank you.